A new era in space exploration began on Tuesday. An extraterrestrial visits a man's house and wants to do way more than phone home. And then we travel to Washington. The year is 1994. And when a mysterious substance begins to rain from the sky, people don't know what to make of it. But soon enough, the entire town becomes ill. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. Didn't have a great day yesterday, honestly. I had a really bad anxiety attack, which is to be kind of given, right, with the circumstances we're in. But, yeah, I thought my heart was flipping out and all this stuff, and I actually called 911. It's so funny because I know you're like, this is hilarious, Jason. Our friend is having to call 911. I'm sitting there. I think my heart's not beating in rhythm, and then my pulse is skyrocketing, and I'm totally freaking out, and I'm calling 911. I feel like my heart's an AFib. And I'm walking around, I'm packing a bag, I'm packing like an overnight bag for the hospital, I'm trying to find my phone charger, I'm talking 911. She's like, are you sitting down? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, uh, like, walking around, and she's like, uh, you may want to sit down. And then I get, the ambulance shows up, and I'm, like, standing on the street corner waving to the ambulance, the ambulance guy pops out, and he's like, uh... Um, are you the guy? I was like, yeah, yeah, the heart guy? Yeah, yeah, that's me, Jason. And he's like, uh, okay. So I, like, crawl into the ambulance, just, like, walk in. They're assuming the worst, right? Get into the ambulance. And because we have the coronavirus thing on, they don't take me to the hospital. They drive around the corner, and they do everything in the ambulance. And it was funny, because no one had masks on. Actually, I felt like in that ambulance was probably the cleanest place in the city. We only have three cases in the entire county up here right now. But anyways, I'm in there, and they ran all the diagnostics. They're looking at everything, and they go, you're fine. Like, he says, legally, you you know, go to the hospital, get all the tests done. But I think you're good, dude. I think you're good, and they showed me everything, and we talked about it. And, and then to show how much faith they had and how healthy I was, they just, they didn't even drive me up to my apartment, Right? They dropped me off at the bottom of the hill. Like, I they, I'm hooked up to all this stuff. Oh, my pulse was like 105. It was just an anxiety attack. It was just an anxiety attack. Because, you know, everyone's under a lot of stress. But anyways, they were so little concerned about my health that they just <laughs> dropped me off at the bottom of a hill. And I had to walk up the hill to get to my house because Hood River is nothing but hills. But yeah, so that was my day. And the reason why I'm sharing that story with you is because... We got it. We're taking care of ourselves physically by doing the social distancing, but we got to make sure we're taking care of ourselves mentally as well. And even as much as we're doing that, like I've really been good about keeping myself entertained with the podcast, and I'm watching more movies than I normally do. Watching a ton of Wizards of Waverly Place. I'm blowing through my Disney Channel, my Disney Plus subscription, watching all the shows I loved back in the day. But we got to keep our mind right. So that I'm sharing my experience with you because I know I'm not the only one doing it. I know I'm not the only one. I, I, I would say there was probably 10,000 other, 100,000 other people across the world who had an anxiety attack yesterday. So you're not alone. I'm having them. I'm, I'm not depressed. I told a friend of mine, Sabine, she's concerned. I go, listen, I'm not depressed. I can be anxious and I can have anxiety attacks. You worry about me when I start to get depressed, which isn't going to happen. I'm very optimistic about this whole thing. I think it's going to blow over. The world's economy is going to recover all this stuff. I'm looking at the end result. But you're not alone. 
If you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling scared, I get it. It's going to come. And we're going to feel sad. And we're going to feel scared. But we just have to move past it. So, I mean, we just you have friends out there. And um, you're not alone. Okay, guys? Everyone's going through this. So let's go ahead and give... I wanted to... I think that's important. I know that took up a bit of time, but... I think it's important, because you guys are probably feeling it, too, and and, I'm just reaching out to you guys, and I'm okay. I'm okay. My heart's totally fine. I had all those tests done last year. I'm totally fine. It was just, I was having an anxiety attack, you know, in stressful times. Let's give a shout-out to one of our legacy Patreons here. Let's give a shout-out to Caden S., everyone. Nice round of applause for Caden S. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really helps a lot. You'll be getting the keys of the Carpenter Copter in just a second. We also want to talk about the uh, Dead Rabbit Movie Club. This is a long preamble, but... So, I recommended The Baby yesterday, and if you've ever seen The Baby, you can understand where that sigh was coming from. I had not watched it before, okay? I don't want to take any blame for The Baby, which was... Anyways... Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're going to do a live stream on YouTube talking about these movies. If you want to join us, totally awesome. We watched how all these movies are available on Shutter.com. Promo code SHUTIN, S-H-U-T-I-N, if you want 30 days free. I do not get sponsored by them. We watched Housewife. We watched Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolarama. We watched The Baby. Tonight, again, I've never seen this movie before. I know absolutely nothing about it, except it has good reviews on here, and the cover looks pretty weird. It's called Neck Necrotronic. Necrotronic. I have no idea what it's about. It can't be any weirder than the baby, so we're just going with it. Let's go ahead, though, and get started with our episode today. So, Caden, fire up that carbon copter. We are flying out to... The Pentagon. Where's that? Washington, D.C., Virginia, somewhere around there. Doesn't matter. We're flying now. We're going to land. We're going to land right in the middle of the Pentagon. And there's a little open area. We're going to land right there. And everyone's saluting us. I'm making that noise as we're getting as we're getting off the helicopters. We're walking down the hallway. You're like Jason, shut up! I'm like, no, this is military music. And then the president of the United States, Donald Trump, salutes us. Welcome, listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio. He says, "This is my this is my Donald Trump impression." I know it's really good, isn't it? I'm glad you guys have come because I have ooge news for you. You like that? Ooge news. He pulls out a little um, slideshow thing. I don't know what he pulls it out of his pocket. We're in a room. There's a projector and he pulls down the little screen and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Project 2030. And then it's just a picture of Mars. Project 2030. This is what happened on Tuesday. Project 2030 is actually a name I made up. That's not what it's technically called. But on Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, Donald Trump said space is up for grabs. First come, first serve. I guess there used to be like an international treaty but none of the major players signed it we didn't sign it france didn't sign it ussr didn't sign it russia 
Nobody signed it, but the UN was like, wouldn't it be great if space was like a global commons and anyone could do whatever they wanted up there? Trump's like, nope, not anymore. And to be fair, other countries have been gearing up to do this. He was just the first person to say this. He's like, whoever smelt it, dealt it. And when I mean smelt, I mean mine ores on the moon and smelt them into bars of iron, whatever's up there. And Bush wanted this too. George W. Bush wanted this too. He wanted to put a man on Mars, like in 2024. And obviously that's not going to happen. But Donald Trump goes, we're going to have a man on the moon by 2024. And we're just not going to be jumping around in the dirt. We're going to be building a base so we can be to Mars by the year 2030. And they're coming out with all of these graphics of how they plan to mine water and hydrogen from the moon. And he's like, whoever smelt it, dealt it. Like, let's get up there, let's start making ores, and then we own that part of the moon. And then France is like, oh yeah, we oui, we oui, that sounds like a great idea. We dibs this crater. No, 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 no. You gotta be on there to do it. This is a total game changer, because basically at this point now, a world power has said, let's just, <laughs> everyone just get to the moon. If you can get to the moon, you can start mining it. It's the equivalent now of when... Like, countries used to, like, get in boats and go to other countries and then, like, get off the boat and be like, we own this place where we've landed. For the past 40, 50 years, the idea has been it just belongs to everyone. Nope, not anymore. So, that's pretty dope, right? Does this start a new space race? Does this jump start technology? Does this answer all of our energy needs? Helium-3, it's extremely bountiful on the moon. They say one shuttle full of helium-3, one shuttle full, could power the entire United States for 10 years. Or one year. Doesn't matter. That's still a long amount of time. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. We're leaving the Pentagon behind. And actually, this is kind of tricky because we're leaving the Pentagon behind. We're going to Russia. Don't say that out loud. Because we're going back to Russia during the Cold War. So we sneak out. Of the Pentagon. Surprisingly easy. Really bad security there. I don't know if you know that, but it's terrible. We walk out. I'm security so lax. We're walking out of there. I'm wearing Donald Trump's watch. You're wearing his jacket. You we are shocked how much we can get away with, but we walk and we both have armloads full of top secret documents. We're just throwing them in the streets. Top secret documents for everybody. We hop back in the carpenter copter. Caden, fly us out to Ulinovsk, Russia. Now we're going from modern day Pentagon to 1986 Ulanivsk, Russia. We're going to land in this town. Let's assume it's like a suburb. I have no idea where this place is at, but it exists. We're going to land in this town. We hop out of the carpenter copter. We're walking around. And there we meet a man. A nameless man. We don't have this guy's name. But we see this. This is pretty calm. This is from that website, thinkaboutitdocs.com. They have, towards the mid-80s, a lot of UFO stories coming out of the Soviet Union. Information was finally starting to leak. So there's not a ton of detail. But this story is one of those listed. A bizarre alien encounter. There's a man there. Let's call him Piotr. Piotr. Or maybe just Peter. I don't know how they pronounce it over there. We'll just call him Peter. That hurts my throat less. Peter is getting ready for work. He works at a factory. 
that makes other factories. He's really, really important to the economy of Soviet Union. <laughs> just other little factories come out of a giant factory and then they get placed all over the Eastern Bloc country. So anyways, he's very, very important at his job. Peter's sitting there. He's drinking coffee. He's getting ready for work. And he hears a knock at his door. And he's like, what? That's weird. That's weird, right? Usually people don't visit you in the morning. People norm to normally visit you in the afternoon, right? So... Kind of sets him off. Plus, he's like, I don't have any friends. That's also weird. Hmm, that's weird. Don't have any friends, which makes him a little sad. And it's in the middle of the morning. So he walks up. He's eating donut, drinking his coffee, getting his tie ready. He opens the door. What? And, like, his eyes, imagine this like a sitcom. His eyes are looking right at somebody's chest. And he's like, huh? And then his eyes slowly go up, up, up. Up, and there's a seven-foot man standing outside of his door. Oh, golly, he says. He spits coffee out, spits donut out. Totally. I guess seeing a seven-foot man wouldn't be super shocking. I saw Manute Bull at a grocery store once when I was a little kid. I didn't even know who Manute Bull was. He's a basketball player, if you don't. But he was huge. I didn't wasn't spitting food out everywhere. Anyway, seven-foot tall dude. But the seven-foot... Tall dude is wearing a silver onesie coverall. And what's described in the notes as, quote, large boots. That's kind of redundant. He's seven feet tall. Of course, anything is going to be described as large. But that's quibbling, right? I think the main thing is he's seven feet tall. He's wearing a silvery, shiny coverall. And he tells Peter, I'm an alien. Which is a good way to start a conversation, right? Just get it right out, right out the bat. I'm an alien. He's like, huh? I'm an alien. And I'm hungry. I need food. I need what you earthlings call nibbles and things to eat. He's like, well, we don't call them nibbles. But anyways, Peter is doesn't know what to do, right? Seven foot tall man wearing a, what really would be described as a spacesuit. Standing outside his door, and he says, I'm an alien. Give me food. He goes, okay, wait. Wait right here a second. Because what would you do, right? Like, you'd give the guy food. If he was a normal-sized human and just wearing a silver shirt, you'd figure he was just like some drifter. But seven how many seven-foot-tall homeless people have you ever seen? First off, how many seven-feet-tall people have you ever seen? I saw Manute Bull. But if I saw a seven-foot-tall hobo, I'd, I'd move away. If I ever moved, lived in a town and a seven-foot-tall homeless person showed up, I'd leave. Because there's no way that I'm, I'm going to survive. That guy's going to ask me for money. I'm going to say no. And then he's going to crunch me into a little ball and dribble me. Or maybe just eat me. I don't know. But anyway, so you don't assume tall people, seven-feet-tall people are homeless, right? That's a weird stereotype I've just created. Tall people aren't homeless. But anyways... Peter goes to get him food. So he does. He gets some, like, old newspapers and kind of, like, forms a bag type of things. Peter's a very inventive guy. I wouldn't have thought about that. I'm just giving him some cans of raviolis. He gets some old newspaper and kind of, like, makes it so it's like a bag or a basket and puts groceries in it and gives it to the alien and says, Here, I can give you these groceries. And the alien takes the groceries in his giant arms and goes, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the alien turns and walks away. And Peter's like, what? Now, he didn't look. He's not being described as like a gray alien. He's just a tall looking human. 
But, I mean, like, he says he's an alien. He's dressed like an alien. He's not a human size. I mean, I know humans can get that big, but it's super rare, right? Anyways, so Peter goes to work. It's just an odd, an odd encounter. Maybe it was just some guy ripping him off, got some free cans of soup. Who knows? But Peter goes to work, right? This is in the book by Jacques Vallée, who's a very well-respected UFO researcher. This is not some story. This is not creepypasta I found on Reddit. This is super bizarre. That, that's just the intro. Jacques Vallée wrote this in his book, UFO Chronicles of the Soviet Union. It's a compendium. It's a collection of stories about UFOs in the Soviet Union. If you can believe that from the title. Peter's at work, and he's pressing buttons, and factories are being built, little steam sacks. Going down the conveyor belt, and he's like, why do I have to listen to this song all the time? That's the official work song, the royalty-free work song. He's sitting there, and he has a sudden urge, I gotta go home, dude. Like, something does not feel right. I have to go home. He's having an anxiety attack. I know exactly how he felt. I have to go home. He has this overriding fear. Something's going on in his house. So he tells his boss, hey, dude, I got to go home. Like, I had a really weird morning. I didn't tell you about that because I'm still processing it. But I definitely need to go home right now. And the boss is like, okay, that's kind of weird. But sure, go home. So Peter races home. He gets in his house. His entire kitchen is empty of all food. Something something <laughs> broke into his house while he was gone. In the short amount of time he was gone. I, I, I mean, they said he left to work home early. So le- he was probably at work less than three or four hours, right? After that, you're not really leaving early. I guess you're still leaving early, but you know what I mean. He gave a tall dude a bunch of groceries for free. Goes to work, comes back. His entire kitchen is ransacked. Not a single grain of rice. Not an apple core. Nothing. All of his food is gone. So that's the end of... Here's the thing. Technically, that's the end of that story. And it it's not... What I like about this story is, one, it proves to me my distrust of aliens is totally sound because they're thieves. Not only do they abduct people and abduct cattle, but they also abduct your food. Secondly, we're talking about Soviet Union in 1986. So it's not like this guy could just go to the grocery store. This is where the, this is the culture that invented the, the term bread lines. He's like, dang it, you know how many lines I have to stand in to get all those groceries again? I have to stand in the rice line, to stand in the milk line. It was nice enough he gave groceries away in the first place. But now this dude broke into his house and stole them. So there's two ways to look at it. It's possible that it was just a giant dude who was walking from house to house and trying to get free food, and he realized this guy had the best food on the block, in the eastern block, and uh, broke into his house and took it all. But it's more interesting to think that this dude was actually a space alien. And although he had a craft that could fly across the cosmos, and a snazzy silver suit, and an inhuman height, he really just wanted to eat a bunch of food that day even if it meant he had to break into the house of a good Samaritan. I think this guy had a close encounter of the third mine. Because the alien took it and said it's mine. Get it? Anyways, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. I think that story's super bizarre. Why would an alien need... Why would We never really think of aliens needing food in the first place, let alone breaking into people's houses. 
to get food. That'd be so funny. You're getting abducted. You're like getting wrestled by four gray aliens. They're like bebop, boop, boop. They're wrestling in the ground. They're pulling out like these giant metal blades. They're going to start inspecting, like cutting you open, stuff like that. And then you see one go to your fridge. You're like, no, no, not my ham. I've been marinating that. No, and you're like, you're like, at least you know, like all the medical procedures they do on you. They're going to erase your mind. You'll wake up every once in a while in cold sweats and visions of aliens holding you down, but you won't really remember it, right? But you will remember trying. You're like, what happened to all, what happened to my milkshake? Where's my frosty? I brought back from Wendy's. What? Where'd that go? Huh? Like you'll remember stuff missing. You won't remember the implant they put behind your ear. That beeps every time you go through the airport. And they go, well, I don't know. You won't remember all that horrible stuff. But you will remember the fact that your peanut M&Ms are gone. What? Where'd these go? <laughs> that would, I think that simply adds to the horror. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Our next one's really weird. Let's hop in the carpenter copter one last time. Caden, take us on out to Oakville, Washington. It's a little town. Population 665. That's mind-boggling to me. Hood River has a population of about 12,000. That's the smallest city I've ever lived in. I always live like I lived in LA, lived in the Bay Area, lived in Sacramento. 665 people. That's super tiny. Tiny little town. I think it'd be fun to visit. Check out the little diner. I like going to diners when I travel. Little diners have their little like burger menu and stuff like that. But anyways, I don't travel actually. I never go anywhere I can't walk back from. I never travel more than 30 miles from where I live. But if I did travel, I would go to diners. I used to travel a lot more when I was younger. Anyways, Oakville, Washington, population 665. It's August 7th, 1994. So it's not that long ago, really. I had just graduated high school that summer, actually. So, I mean, it's probably... You're like, Jason, that's like over 20-some-odd years ago. What do you mean that's not a long time ago? I was uh, just starting college. Actually, I took the fall semester off, but it doesn't mean anything. I didn't live here. I wasn't. I had nothing to do with this. Oakville, Washington. We are walking around this little town, and it's just a beautiful day, right? A little overcast, but the sun's out. Dogs are barking. Babies are walking on the sidewalk. Stuff like that. Their their hands are hot. Ow, ow, ow. We we have to pick the babies up and put them on the lawn like they're worms trying to escape the rain. But right when we start talking about rain. It does start to rain a bit. And we're expecting for water to hit our... That's how it works, right? You walk outside and you're like, hmm, I hear rain, but no water yet. It should be hitting my head right about... But rain doesn't hit our head. Instead, little little things do, right? We're like, what in the world? What? Come on, man. Little... Tiny, blobby things. About the size of a grain of rice. So they hit us and they just kind of stick and we have to like flick them. What the heck? What in tarnation is this madness? Wiping them off. Taking the babies. We're putting them underneath the patio. Not underneath the patio. Right? That's like underneath the house. We're putting them like on people's porches. Keep your babies out of the street. We yell at each house as we're putting the babies there. And then we find shelter for ourselves. And after this little rainstorm of blobs stops, everyone kind of comes out of their house. What? What in the world was that? Picking them up, squeezing them, <laughs> throwing them at you, and sticking them up your nose. You're like, ah! Flicking them at people. Everyone in town is wondering, what in the world are these things, right? And 
people are like showing them to each other. Hey, did you see that? Look at that. Yeah, I saw that. It rained all over my place. Look at it. Got them everywhere. People are trying to figure out where they are. And then one day after it rains, there's a dead cat laying in a yard. Now that's not suspicious, right? I don't think this town, this it's all like Oakville, Washington, home of the immortal cats. Cats never die here. That's what they're known for. I'm sure cats have died in Oakville before, but it was weird that this cat died. For whatever reason, people noticed this dead cat. It wasn't it by a car, it was just like laying, laying in the grass. What? That's weird. We're home in the immortal cats. We haven't had a cat death here in 200 years. But they don't have time to really think about the cats because people start to get sick. Ugh. What? Oh my god, no. I got a fever. Ugh. People are throwing up. People are sweating. People have really, really bad flus. Really bad flus. Some people take them a week or two to get over it. Some people, some more sensitive people, a couple months. Fatigue. And nauseous. Now, while this illness is rippling through the town, it rains the blobs again. And again. And again. A total of six times. This is well documented in the newspapers at the time. 1994, Oakville, Washington. It's not far enough back that you're just going off this anecdotal evidence. This was reported in the newspaper. Um, It was reported in The Observer, which is a Washington newspaper, and it's been covered since then as well. They'll do like 20 years later. That was KXRO.com, a news website covered it 20 years later. So this is an actual event. It rained six more times over over a total of 20 square miles, which because the town is so small, it's pretty much getting the entire town. Now, the question was, what are these things? Now, some people thought, this usually what we've covered mystery blobs from the sky before. The, the blobs themselves have happened. What makes this story interesting is the illnesses that came on top of it. That hasn't happened. We've had bloody chunks of meat fall in South America. We've had blobs fall in Middle America, like Kansas, I think it was. We had out in the desert, it might have been Arizona or California, where they would just find those giant piles of little Orbeez but they don't even know if they're Orbeez, just little, they almost look like fish eggs just sitting on the road by the desert. Fish have fallen from the sky, squids, all sorts of stuff. So that's normal. The illness is what makes it weird. Now, they had all these theories. Everyone in town had a theory. One of the theories was airplanes flying overhead, flushing their toilets. And the airlines were like, we don't fly over your town, and we're not flushing our toilets over your town either. So it wasn't us. Plus, it wouldn't look like that. It'd come down as a big, like, grody old block. It wouldn't come down as, like, rice. And we definitely wouldn't do it six times, right? Like, maybe we had one snafu and the plane was kind of flying. Be like, hey, wouldn't this be funny? Watch, I'm going to take a dump. Right? And that's one thing. But six times, that's pushing it. The other theory was that earlier before this happened, the Air Force were doing practice bombing runs 10 to 20 miles off the coast and that the bombs were so explosive They were blowing up jellyfish, and the jellyfish were flying up into the atmosphere, flying into a cloud for 10 to 20 miles, and then falling on people. And that's what a lot of locals believe. There's jellyfish guts. There's jellyfish guts that were going on. And the military says, we do do bombing runs out there, but we don't know. Like that, it's possible, right? Because that's how you get fish raining, because they get sucked up in a water spout, dropped somewhere else. 
the town wanted to do a jellyfish festival, right? Every town wants a claim to fame. They wanted to do a jellyfish festival where at the end of each festival, they would, this is something you can only do in 1994. This was the America I grew up in. And damn, it was a good America. The end of, there's no way they would do this today. The end of the jellyfish festival in this town that was being plagued by jellyfish guts was they were going to take a cannon, an actual cannon, and stuff it full of jellyfish and shoot jellyfish guts all over the town. That's dope. Town of the Immortal Cat, boo. Town of the Annual Jellyfish Explosion, yeah. I'd go more than 30 miles to visit that place. But what's interesting is we have now entering the story Washington Department of Health microbiologist Mike McDowell. That sounds like a an actual like hero scientist name, right? Mike McDowell. He's examining them. He's looking at them under his microscope, and he's like, I need another look at this. Give me a smaller microscope. So he puts it on a microscope and then puts another microscope to look at that microscope. It's like all microscopes all the way down. That's how professional this guy is. He's looking at him, and he goes, well, I see there's two different types of organisms here, which is weird. I don't know exactly why this would be making people sick, but... He looks up from the microscope, looks directly into the camera, and goes, Whatever this is, it's man-made. He says the two organisms, one of them was Pseudonomus florensis, and the other one is Entobacter cloquet. It means absolutely nothing to me. Maybe if you're a nerd, you're like, Cloquet? Interblack or cloquet? Oh my god, that's so amazing! Calm down, calm down. You can check it out in the show notes. I have no idea what that means, but he says that there's two different type of organisms in it, and he goes, it was man-made. Mike McDowell makes this discovery. He believes it's man-made. He's working on this at the time, and he gives this quote. He gives this quote regarding what's going on. This material, and I have no proof one way or the other, which which is a good way to coach it, right? Which is a good way to kind of say, I'm going to make this claim, and it's going to sound weird, I can't prove it. I've actually, I actually use that statement a lot of way. I can't prove it either way, but it's a good way to, to start this off, because he's going to make a bizarre, a dangerous accusation. Here, back to the quote. This material, and I have no proof one way or the other, was manufactured by someone for some purpose. And for some reason, Oakville was chosen as the test site. That's a bold statement. This is some sort of biological weapon or test. And someone's doing this on purpose. It's a contained area with a small town, 665 people. Somebody wants to see what something can do, drop it off. No deaths except for one cat. But an entire town falls ill. You have people nowadays going, Ah, the entire town didn't fall ill. It was just... 20 people. It wasn't the whole town. Other people go, what? That cat, he's still alive. That cat's right over there. That fake news. People debate. The event did happen and people got sick. Some people say everyone got sick. Some people say only certain people got sick. Some people say the cat's dead. It's Schrodinger's jelly. You don't know what it is until you actually go there and get the jelly to fall on you. But let's go back to Mike McDowell to wrap this story up. Because he makes this claim that this is man-made, someone's running a test. But he's not done with his test, right? Scientists just don't go, well, I looked at it once, da-da-da, I'm done. What, I did that equation yesterday. Oh, that's all the math I'm doing today. 
Like, science marches forward. So he keeps looking into it. But one day he walks into the office, and we get this quote from Mike. Quote, I came in, and the material was not where it was supposed to be. Hey, guys, did you see where I put my, put my alien jelly slash bioweb? Did you guys see what? I could have sworn I left it right here next to my real jello. J-E-L-L-O. But now that I'm done eating my jello, I swear to the, the, the slimy rice is so... Hey, guys, you know where that went? Huh? Back to the actual quote. Quote, I asked management what happened to it. And the exact words were, do not ask. So according to Mike McDowell, in the midst of trying to discover what this thing absolutely was, the sample disappeared, and he was told to drop all investigation. It's a quaint story that's probably passed around quite often in the town of Oakville, Washington. But for the rest of the world, it's pretty obscure. I had never heard of this story before. And I've looked at a lot of strange rain stories. Never ever heard of this one before. Is it a story of a mysterious rain and around the same time people got sick? Psychosomatic. They got in their heads. They thought it was hurting them. Just two unrelated events. Was there a mysterious rain and a few people got sick? And the story got blown out of proportion. To nowadays, people sit around and tell the stories about they knew that cat. It was their cat that died. Or was it as bad as people say? And it was a man-made bioweapon test on American citizens. We'll never know the answer. Because if you have the power to unleash a weapon like that, you definitely have the power to cover it up. There may be some old resident of Oakville, Washington, that has a little jar in their basement of little goo rice things that they kept and collected and just kind of filed it away, sitting down there collecting dust. They've forgotten about it, or they passed away and their descendants have forgotten about it. And while every other sample of that bioweapon may be in a laboratory somewhere and scientists are still pouring over it, collating data, trying to decide whether or not the test was effective or not, that jar in Oakville, Washington is simply collecting dust. But all it takes is one clumsy kid goofing off in the basement to knock it over, crashes onto the basement floor, and the goose spills out. A bioweapon that made people sick over 20 years ago, who knows what would happen if it was released now. Maybe it has a half-life, maybe it's completely inert, wouldn't harm anyone even if you ate it with a spoon. Or maybe whatever it was, those organisms, that was just the first stage. Scientists think they have all the samples. But really, there's a bioweapon ready to explode in a small town in Washington. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Be safe, be kind, be good to yourself, be good mentally, guys. I love you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow.